This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Welcome to the EdTech Podcast. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk. Today, we're talking about the science of reading. Now, let me ask you a rhetorical question here. So how did you learn to read? I mean, do you remember certain steps that, that built on one another? Or did just one day you remember being able to read the words in your favorite little book. Probably the latter, because we're just kids. We wouldn't remember or understand that process, but the process of being taught to read is quite invisible to us. Today on the podcast, we're sitting down with iStation's Claudia Casillas and Tony Montgomery, former classroom teachers who are experts in the science of reading and bring that expertise and experience to share insights with other educators. Claudia and Tony, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So glad to be here, Shelby. So first, let's talk about your backgrounds and how you came to iStation. So Claudia, let's start with you. I understand that uh, you're getting your doctorate right now. Uh, Tell me about that and how how you began in education. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I was a classroom teacher. I spent most of my instructional time teaching kids to read in first grade, and It really served as an inspiration to me to continue into higher education because I really have a love of literacy and of reading. And so after several years of being a classroom teacher and eventually a coach and a teacher leader working with a large university system under a reading grant, um, specializing more in the area of reading with the learning that I was able to engage in with this accredited university system, it really served as an inspiration to to go into higher ed because I was surrounded by these incredible, incredible scholars and educators that had the same passion that I have, and that is literacy for all. And so, Tony, I understand you come from Dallas ISD where you were the response to intervention coordinator. So tell me about that and also how you began teaching. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I, it dates me, <laughs> but I started teaching <laughs> back in uh, the early 70s, believe it or not. Mm. And uh, that's when I think that we really focused on um, the, I want to say the art of uh, reading and the art of teaching we were uh, sort of experimenting with this idea of learning sort of in your intro was how did people really learn to read so we were still um, talking about you know sight words and and getting and starting this idea that phonics was important so I started in the the early 70s Um, I had an opportunity to work with Madeline Hunter who at the time was the guru of instruction. And uh, we did a lot of what we call distributive practice, making sure that students understood the uh, learning objective and, and moving students through learning. And we started this idea of small group instruction, believe it or not. <laughs> and so a lot of what we see today, we started back in that time. But to wow. move forward, I've had an opportunity to uh, teach in general education classes and in special education classes. So I'm certified in both areas. And I would say in special ed, we really looked at 
um, how to help students learn who had great learning difficulties. And so they weren't having success in the regular classroom for some reason uh, where that student uh, really could not understand the text. Uh, students could not get the vocabulary, uh, could not learn the patterns. We had to go back and restructure learning for them, helping them to really look at the individual sounds and the, the alphabetic phoneme principles, really getting the student to really focus on what they could do as compared to all of their other peers at the time. And now the field of special education has really moved forward from the time I started uh, in the uh, early 60s. I'm mean, sorry, early 70s, and, and, and moved like, well, what was I doing in the early 60s? I was learning to read then. But, uh, but, to, uh, but to really look at how we have advanced our understanding of learning and reading uh, through uh, neuropsychology, looking at uh, what current research is out there. So special education has made a big leap forward in how we use uh, strategies, learning strategies to help students learn. And so we've come, I guess, really together to look at our students with special needs being in the general education classroom, getting what every other student received, which led me to RTI, to the response to intervention. A lot of the work that we did with No Child Left Behind, looking at that, which came out of the work that they did with uh, the big five, the five big ideas of reading, it was like, how do we have a framework around helping people start to look at educational practices that uh, catch the student before they fail? And so the whole idea of RTI is to prevent students' failure and to help them learn to read. So we focused on reading, and then we came and focused on math. But we really looked at the area of reading and then we looked at the framework and we helped schools and principals to start to look at what they had in place and how well they could really structure the learning environment to help students keep from failing. Well, I like that you mentioned the art of reading and how it's progressed to the science of reading. And so you mentioned those five big components of reading. So uh, let's talk a little bit about just those definitions and what each one looks like in the classroom. So Claudia, uh, will you lay out those five components and, and we'll go through each of those quickly. Absolutely. So the five components of reading, again, in the early 2000s, we had the National Research Council and the National Reading Panel really support our understanding of reading lots of scholars like Stanovich and Motes and Adams and Snow and Airy, just to name a few, worked under these groups to allow us to understand the five components of reading, which are phonological awareness and more specifically phonemic awareness. And then you have phonics, vocabulary, comprehension, and fluency. And because reading is this complex and dynamic process, it's really important to access the wealth of knowledge that is available to us because teachers are engaged in the most important work on the planet. And we have to keep in mind that the brain is hardwired for learning. So if we think about that first area 
phonological awareness and specifically phonemic awareness, which is that highest skill under phonological awareness, it serves as a leading predictor of reading success. I mean, that is really huge. It allows teachers to know that this type of processing, it's what helps the brain in hardwiring or creating these neural pathways to support that next idea in phonics, which is that alphabetic principle. So I always kind of think of phonological awareness with phonemic awareness as that leading predictor. I think of that phonological processing um, like a road upon which the sound and symbol correspondence, they sit, these patterns, these phoneme graphing patterns, they sit here because we lay this foundational road with phonological processing. So the phonics elements, which would include being able to match these phonemes, those smallest units of sound, with the graphemes, those are ways to think about phonics. Phonics can also be understood as spelling or word analysis orthography, or even graphophonemic knowledge. It's really having a deep understanding of the relationship between letters and sounds and the patterns associated with them. When you think about vocabulary instruction, my gosh, vocabulary instruction is, is such a, a critical area as well because it is a gateway to comprehension. And so vocabulary can be both explicit, which is really needed within a routine that has a lot of modeling and routines and visual cues with a lot of scaffolds and opportunities for kids to practice. This is what vocabulary instruction can be about. And then of course you have fluency, which I know Tony likes to share a lot of information when it comes to fluency. It's a very interesting topic, especially for her. When we talk about fluency, we, we really, really think about just the rate and, and how fast a student can read. But really, when we look at the research, it, it's uh, deeper than that. And so uh, Jan Hasbrick and uh, Tyndall, uh, who produced the oral reading fluency chart, really allows us to look at the importance of oral reading and how it provides for that success. And so when we look at oral reading, we're, we're looking at uh, fluency uh, as oral reading as well as what we call silent reading, where the student then is, is taking their time. They're looking at how the, the text is structured. They, they talk mm -hmm. about how the, the grammar is, is structured, all of those pieces, what the author is thinking, and all of that happens to give way to a fluent reader, a student having success in reading. And then that reading, which leads the text, which leads right into comprehension. And so when we talk about comprehension, we talk about, and we always talk about comprehension as being the, the actual essence of reading. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it allows us to, it allows that student to look at different levels of text to be able to really um, get that information so we can we can talk about uh, comprehension as being that gateway to knowledge and to success because if you don't comprehend what you're reading then you're not going to have any success so we're going to look at at comprehension as being uh, the ultimate goal of reading so back to uh, one of the, the early components then that you mentioned uh specifically phonics. Now, I, I guess I didn't realize that for many years, people 
thought or believed that phonics really wasn't the correct way of teaching reading. So how is research showing how effective this big five, these five components of reading uh, and how it's driving effective reading instruction, especially with tools like iStation? Well, when we start to really think about phonics, that is the uh, essential part of learning to read, especially when we're talking about a vowel-based language, which English is. And uh, it's not the only skill, and I think that's where people, uh, early educators sort of got off with not looking at these essential components of the phoneme graphing principle that really establishes those neural pathways that Claudia talked about that really helped the brain hold on to long-term memory. So research really shows that we have to establish those pathways. And so it is not like you can just read to enjoy reading. You have to actually be explicit in teaching that this this letter has a sound and that sound mm -hmm. then incorporated with another sound will make a word and so we have to build on that and so what we really found research found that there were really the students had to understand the the graphing phone phoneme principle then they really had to look at spelling we look at the six written syllables that are in conventional um, English. And so we looked at these are the six syllable types that a student has to learn if they're going to be successful in decoding words. So they're going to have to know that there's closed syllables and there's open syllables. The research went back and said there were vowel teams where the students uh, had to understand that sometimes two vowels make one sound. And then we have the R control. They were very specific when they went and start to look at what else uh, happens when we start to put these letters together and then we start talking about the difference between a consonant and a vowel and yeah. so then we have the vowel consonant with the magic e at the end you know we talk about the silent e and uh, when the, the e comes along what it does to the to the vowel before it so it affects the vowel before it so and then that the whole idea that the consonant has a le sound that really affects uh, the word like in table or an apple. So mm -hmm. we start to really look at the research and the research really shows us that there are certain patterns a kid has to learn if they're gonna be able to decode the words. And then they're gonna to have to understand there's a difference between a consonant and a vowel. And when you put those together, it creates the, uh, the word patterns that we use that we can take a big word and break it down into small syllables and learn how to say a big word like automatopoeia. So, <laughs> so, and, and, you know, kids sort of like those words. I remember when I was teaching fourth grade and when we say, okay, now we're going to learn about automatopoeia and they all just sort of, the eyes get sparkled up. You just wanted to say the word. Right, yeah. And, 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 and when we broke it down, they looked at all the small, the, the actual, syllables in each of those words so they could really have success in reading the word itself but it just lends itself to being able to read so many more words so when we do this when we look at the science and not just looking at sight words it believe it or not shelby the brain does not read sight words it reads every sound the brain research shows us that the neuroscientists all 
agree that the brain reads individual sounds and that comes up with the word. Now the brain is so advanced, it happens in a instantaneously. Yes, yeah. yeah. So it's that that netto section. But we don't see it that way. We think, well, we're reading that whole word when the brain is really not doing that. It's reading individual sounds. So I think it's it's so exciting to see what the research lends itself, how it lends itself to what we do every day in education. So we can take that art of teaching and marry it with the science of learning. It's really, I mean, the science of reading and the art go together. Well, uh, Tony mentioned something that is discussed a lot in learning English as a second language is the fact that English has so many nuances and just funny approaches to, you know, sometimes it sounds like this and sometimes it sounds like that. For a non-native English speaker, how uh, what kind of challenge does that pose then, Claudia, for uh, for readers who are learning to read in often a second language? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and really, we are all learning the English language continuously throughout our whole lives. But specifically for someone who comes with another language and another sound symbol correspondence, another system, um, it's important to be explicit and systematic. So you have these different researchers like Snow and Burns and Griffin or Bose and Vaughn, for example, who let us know that students have to learn the relationship between 44 speech sounds and 100 spelling patterns used to represent these sounds. So mm -hmm. the importance of being explicit with these patterns and the sounds behind them, it's paramount because that way the brain can then encode this and be able to focus the energy towards the ultimate goal of comprehension. So it's very important to have a systemic or systematic relationship understood between letters and sounds for kids, especially if they are second language learners. And that also we capitalize on what their first language has to offer in terms of looking at similarities with the Latin bases and cognates that we can capitalize on what many, many kids already have in their minds and in their brains. And we can build on that with specificity related to these, again, 44 speech sounds and more than 100 spellings used to represent them. That comes from 26 letters. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, Pretty amazing. it's amazing. Well, so uh, as we start to wrap up, I love the conversation that we're having about, uh, you know, talking about just the stripping down the very basics, the very components of reading, that it's so research and science based, it's so data based that we can use data both to understand how students learn and then also to individualize that data for students. Uh Question for either one of you, how, uh, what are, I guess, what are you most impressed by uh, with iStation's tools uh, that employ such uh, care and, and knowledge for educational research and data and basically why, why that makes it so effective for, for students in classrooms? Yeah, I think, you know, what's pretty exciting living in this digital age is that 
we have this opportunity to really capitalize on everything that is available to us when it comes to technology, when it comes to previous learning. And our assessment serves as a screener to really support and foster the reflectional practice that teachers are ideally always engaged in. And it, it provides a very useful and valuable data point to allow teachers to know, okay, what is working well instructionally for this learner and what do I need to maybe adjust, adjust or enhance. With our curriculum, we're, we're really about partnering with the teacher. We're really about complementing the work that's being done in the classroom. And so with both our screener, our assessment, our curriculum, with both of these pieces, we capitalize on this opportunity via animation, lots of visual cues, scaffolding, lots of opportunities for practice and musicality. These all provide these instructional opportunities for learning and for growth and ultimately in supporting neural pathways for learning. And it all happens whether it's the assessment, that's a quick assessment piece, or within our instructional time it all happens in a way that's meant to be fun and motivating and engaging and that really addresses the needs of today's digital learner. So it's pretty exciting to be a part of this kind of project because we have this incredible opportunity to connect with teachers throughout the country and to be able to collaborate with them in this professional learning realm, whether it's in person or, or virtually. It's, it's really a, a great privilege to be able to share this knowledge on the science of reading and how iStation supports the big five and especially in these foundational skills and understanding what the research has and how in iStation we bring that research to life in a way that is super kid friendly and super accessible for both the teacher and the learner. And I want to just compliment this idea that the teacher has such rich information. I love the reports that iStation gives the teachers so they can take that knowledge and, and that science and they put it together so those students uh, are then reached at their level. And then, uh, like Holly has said, they come alongside. I love the way iStation comes alongside, doesn't replace the teacher. It provides that supplement that that teacher needs quick right. and, and fast. But the reports give the teachers such structure to add to the learning that they that they're learning about their own students in their classroom. And it helps them pinpoint those areas of difficulty, but it also gives them a tool for enrichment for those students who are far beyond what they're teaching in their classroom. So I really love the reports that we have that really pinpoints where students are and what the teacher can do to really enhance what's going on in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Well, fantastic stuff from both of you. Really great insights and and. Uh, really a fascinating discussion about the actual science of, of reading and how we're able to tap into all of this knowledge and put it literally in, well, I would say the palm, but it's, it's more, <laughs> more Chromebooks and such like that. But right. you know what I'm saying, that you know to be able to have this type of knowledge base is just amazing and a fantastic tool that, that, that teachers can use and, and really help their students thrive. So... Claudia and Tony, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it.
And that does it for this episode of the EdTech Podcast. Until next time, I'm Shelby Skirhawk.